0: You're tuned in to another episode of Recruitment Entrepreneurs by Recruit CRM. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Recruitment Entrepreneurs by Recruit CRM. And today I have uh, Lou Adler with me. Uh, So, Lou, the floor is yours. Can you give us a quick intro of who you are and how you got into the awesome world of recruitment?
1: Well, actually, I've been in recruiting longer than mostly everybody who is listening to this were born, so before they were born. So I, I've been around and literally I got into it. I was running a manufacturing company when I was 30, 32 years old, hated the group president, had a company making automotive components and just hated the guy. And every came down every other week to my facility and argued every single time and I quit every other month. And then I said, ah, I'm gonna become a recruiter just to find another job. Okay. But as I became a recruiter and this was in 1978, I realized the process was broken. Okay. And it was broken because it wasn't like manufacturing. In recruiting, if you make bad, if you do bad things, like present bad candidates, hiring managers say, "Hey, send me some more candidates." Which yep. is the stupidest thing in the world. It's like running a manufacturing company and you have bad parts. Okay, let's make some more bad parts and only use the good ones. So, given that background, I said, you know, I think recruiting could actually be a manufacturing-like business to track yield from the moment you have a candidate to the bottom line. And that's the whole background of what I do. And, and Lou, like, let's roll the
0: tape back a few more years. Like, where were you born? Like, what's your story? Where are you from?
1: Right? Well, said, you know, you said you weren't going to go where I, I should have told you. No, I was born in New York City in the Bronx. Uh, so, and then I uh, went to school. Moved out to Long Island when I was, it doesn't matter why, but I moved out at a young age, uh, Long Island, and then I went to the engineering school upstate New York. I got a job offer as an engineer in Southern California, and now that story is that it was snowing in upstate New York, and just about this date of 52, 53 years ago, March 15th, actually it was March 15th. I got an offer from a company in Southern California. It was 15 degrees and snowing where I went to school upstate New York. I asked the guy, what's the weather? 72 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. And I said, well, I get relocation allowance. I didn't have any money. It's 22. He said, yes. I said, I'll take that offer. So that was how I got to Southern California. And that's where I live now. I did get sent back on some promotion back to Detroit at one couple of years. But other than that, I've been in California here. But that's how I got here. I got an engineering background, got a finance degree from UCLA. Um, and I put all that stuff together, manufacturing, engineering, finance, accounting, uh, business processes and data analytics, and created a recruiting company and then after about 10 15 years I started training other people on how to recruit so that's what I do now for the last 15 years I've been training recruiters how to recruit and, more effectively and,
0: and as as a professional recruiter did you do everything were you were you traditionally doing retained searches were you doing contingency staffing everything
1: well initially I did contingency searches uh, okay. but then I started training people and specifically companies I my next door neighbor, uh, liked our methodology, which we called performance-based hiring. He said, hey, would you talk to my business group? Well, was turned out his business group and his little mini group had about 20 CEOs, but his other business groups had thousands of other groups of 20 CEOs. So then I started speaking to those groups. And every time I spoke to him about how to hire people, I got a search assignment. So that's why I switched in 1990 to full retained search. Um, Wow. But actually, I like contingency better. If you had good candidates, you can make a lot more money in contingency. Retained search is real hard. It's hard work. You have to deliver the goods. Contingency you just have a couple of good candidates. So, I would say my personality is more suited for a contingency search because I always had good candidates. So, um, that was and, the key and, difference. And and
0: like, how did you think about and because because you've been in the game so long, how did you think about like building your own company when you started out? Did you did you have a bunch of savings
1: that you had saved up as like a nest? No. I was making a lot of money. I was running, at 32, I was running a company, uh, 300 people. So I was making pretty good money. But then I, my, so now we're really getting back to the personal story. I was using these recruiters to hire manufacturing people, cost people, accounting people. And one of them invited my wife and I over his house for dinner. Okay. And this had to be the number one recruiter in the world in 1976. So we're talking a long time ago, number one in the world, without question. Yeah had this beautiful mansion, mansion, lived in a mansion. He had a Bentley in his driveway. This is a recruiter in 1976 and had a beautiful dinner. Uh, As we're driving home, my wife says to me, why don't you become a recruiter? Literally, and I've been thinking about that because I hated my boss all this. And then I said, you know, I'll become a recruiter for six months to a year. I had enough money. She totally agreed with it, Um, became a recruiter. I made my first placement. In three weeks, three weeks in my first place. So, so you literally made
0: money. Like you, got, you got paid in the first one or two months of doing this.
1: And it was unbelievable. I didn't make another placement for five months. though. So okay. I thought I said, so I, said right, I admit it, this might not be it. But then I learned one technique, one technique. It's called applicant control. And it took me five months to master it. After that, in June of that same year, five months later, I said, geez, this is it. There's nothing to it. I could make as many placements as I wanted per month. And I, two or three a month and I made them. And it was, and I got the whole fee. I was my company and I basically paid them a rent or so, but uh, said, really hey, it was actually pretty good life.
0: So, so were you recruiting a specific kind of person in a specific region or were you taking all kinds of projects?
1: Actually, in this case, it was well, the, the guys I was with were mostly doing finance and accounting. So I handled all the engineering and manufacturing and non-accounting roles. But but then I said, you know, accounting is easier. It's once you get an accountant, um, they can work in almost any industry. So I said, okay, what are the best people to work with that are always in high demand? So yep. within 10 years, there was not a single account, uh, pub person in public accounting who didn't know who I was in Orange County, California, which is a county south of Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, awesome. Half the people in Los Angeles knew too, but I was the recruiter to go to. Uh, but then I... So then one day, I think it was 1995, I woke up and I said, you yeah, know, I don't want to talk to any more accountants. I'm tired. If you ever talk to an accountant? You don't want to talk to them anymore. <laughs> so I said, I'm not going to do So then I got marketing and general managers and presidents. And, and, but then in 2005, now I'm telling you a story. 2005, this very nice young woman calls me. She was a PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, senior manager no she was a light manager so two or three four years uh she calls me up and says mr adler i understand you can get me a job as a accounting director or controller in the entertainment industry this was 2005 Uh and she was going to ucla so we had that kind of connection uh, for her master's degree i said no i don't do that anymore Uh, but how did you get my name she said you placed my grandfather (laughs) then i went home and then i went home and cried i said you know if i'm getting referrals from grandchildren i don't need to do this anymore it turned out i did not place her grandfather he was a client though Um, (laughs) um, But nonetheless so that's the area but i but i do talk to a lot of accountants (laughs) so (laughs) i hope i'm not offending any accountants on this call but that was um very few recruiters would be able to say that (laughs) right like that's
0: that that's that's crazy incredible and and, and Lou, were, throughout this time that you were running this as a business, were you basically always like a one man band or, or?
1: No, no, no. I had uh, one time I had 20 recruiters working for me, okay, so but did... it turned out I actually liked three or four full cycle recruiters rather than managing 20. We got all of a sudden we got lots of business, uh, but I preferred being a recruiter than training recruiters, but that's how we developed our training company. We business... took what we did internally. And, and and so you were you
0: were you were the biggest business you were when you had 20 people in terms of headcount but in terms
1: of revenue like what what was the biggest you ever got i i can't say because i didn't like it um so it wasn't really reflective but i what i will say the recruiters that i had that were good and this was in 1995 1996 every single one of them who was good made at least a quarter of a million dollars a year took home a quarter of a million dollars a year. So they probably every single one of them. Now there were of 20 people, there were probably only three or four that were really exceptional. There were 15 who were marginal and they just made minimum wage. I mean it was and what we really did was looked at why those maybe those five or six of us that were really good. Uh, but we looked at what was a differentiator between the good ones who were really outstanding billers and yep. people who were average or below average. And we turned over A lot of the people who under, and was one factor that drove, well, two factors that drove success. But the primary one was we forced people to get referrals. People who get two referrals every day, every single day. So they get 10 a week, good referrals for their jobs, build a quarter of a million dollars. This is in 1990. So today's dollars is probably 700 grand. I mean, so. It was getting referrals and we had all retained searches. So it was all retained searches. But so when you're saying referrals, you mean you would call the candidate and you would ask them for a referral? Well, Yeah, but you had to be pretty sophisticated to do it. You didn't just ask. Well, uh, I, I, totally, I totally understand. But at a high but level. Now, but get the referral. So this is where I said that was it. But to get the referral, you had to know a lot of things to do. You had to understand the job, you had to know who to contact, you had to be persistent, you had to be able to convert the job, you have to have good phraseology, you have to have good messaging. So there's a lot of work to get referrals, but that was the key. We really, and every week we had a training course. Every Friday morning, either online or in person, in Southern California, we got together and we had a training program on how to get referrals, how to overcome objections and we've spent and that's a lot of the basis of our training today is how do you get referrals and, and so some recruiters would rather not get on the phone but you okay. have to do talk to people is huh? is
0: your core business training is that how
1: that's all I do I do not do any recruiting anymore all we do is training so,
0: so when was the last time you did a search or or recruitment project
1: i'm going to i do what we call as a shared search where we help companies do it, so we kind of get involved, but we don't charge the full fee. We just charge the training fee, and we train our recruiters. So I probably would say last year we did a VP marketing search, it but did. it was not a full search. Oh, but that's uh, not real business anymore. The real business is around training, it's training right
0: recruiters and recruitment agencies going in. And so now, what kind of recruitment agents? Like, so do you only train corporates, or do you also train agencies? No, both.
1: We we combine uh, corporate
0: and, and third party, and because a lot of our viewers are people that are either starting new agencies or have have small agencies themselves. What what does the program look like in terms of, you know, the training training they can expect and how much it costs them and stuff like that? Just a rough range.
1: Well, let me kind of just go to the basis of the training. So this goes back to what I said was while referrals was the most important, how do you get those referrals and the methodology of getting them took a lot of skills. It wasn't just getting a referral. and this is now goes back to the program. So let me kind of just talk about it from a business development standpoint. When I heard about an open search assignment and it didn't matter where it was, I in the paper and in the olden days, it was, you know, you look in a newspaper and you'd see jobs posted. What we would do is we, or people would call us and just ask, hey, do you have a job? So let me give a story that would make sense. And this was probably around 1995, 2000. I can't exactly remember. I heard that one company was looking for a VP marketing. I called up and I said, what I would like to do is give you an introduction to our methodology. We called, it wasn't called totally performance-based hiring, but it's called performance-based hiring, but it's how we take a search assignment. We ask a few questions about the job. And our question is, what does the person need to do to be successful? So we really drive into create performance objectives for the job. For an engineer, it could be take over a new department, design a new system. For an accountant, it could be upgrade the reporting. Uh, for someone in a factory, it could be improve the turnaround around the manufacturing processes. But it's stuff that people do. So that was really, really critical. So we would always introduce ourselves and say, let's just talk about our approach for defining work. Uh, so now I had this opportunity. Uh, and it was a company, about $100 million in Southern California, near Los Angeles, and I got invited because somebody heard that I did this a little bit differently. So I walk into the office and it was 830 in the morning and it was two other search firms there. One, somebody from Corn Ferry, because we talked to each other in the lobby yeah. and someone from another search firm I hadn't heard. So this was a big search. Yeah. Today's dollars would be 300,000. Those dollars are probably 125. So it's still a big search. Yeah. Uh, so I go in first. I wouldn't urge everybody to do, do what I'm about to tell them to do, but this is what I did. So I went into the room first, and there was five or six uh, VPs in the company. And they said, well, OK, Lou, tell us why your company is different. Here's what we're looking for. And it was a job description for a VP marketing. Must have an MBA from Harvard and 10 years experience in industrial components and all this stuff. And I looked at this job description. And I said, this is not a job description. This is a person description. Now, this is where the story gets hazy. I believe that I just pushed it aside. The president of the company said I scrumpled that thing up and threw it in the wastebasket and said, This is not a just a piece of junk. That's what he said. I don't recall exactly that, but I did throw the job description away and said, What do you want the person to do? They said, so, what do you mean? I said, yeah, if a person's here for a year, what would have what would this person have accomplished over the course of the next year where you felt you hired an outstanding person? And it turned out they wanted to grow 50% and set up a, pro, a new product line and roadmap. And that was a bunch of product, thing, half a dozen things they had to do. And I said, oh, fine. And this took about 45 to 50 minutes to do. And about the 45 minute mark, it was only supposed to be a half hour meeting, the secretary, the president comes in the room and says, you have, uh, are you going to, is this meeting almost over? Because you have two other recruiters sitting out here waiting to make their presentation. And this is what the president said. He said, I've already decided we're going to go with Lou. You can tell them I'm sorry. I apologize for uh, making them come out here. I got the search assignment just and, by doing that. And, and, and I you were able to every- so every, t- yeah, and I was disappointed with those guys, I guess, but our approach is totally different. And I've gone head to head with corn Ferry, hydrogen struggles, small media competitors. When you don't know the job, You cannot do the search, it's a bunch of BS. And if a recruiter doesn't, so you talk about getting referrals, I can't call up a VP marketing or get a referral from a director of marketing if I don't know what I'm talking about. If I don't know the industry, know the job, know the manager, know the culture, know the team. You have to be very knowledgeable about that whole situation in order to get that referral. Mm -hmm. So while referrals are important, there's a lot of work behind getting.
0: Totally got it. But So now going into it, right? Like so, if, if a new agency comes to you, right? If if someone comes in and they say, "Hey, Lou, I it's me and two people, and we're new in this. We're twenty five year olds." What's what's the product offering to them? What do they pay? And I, I I know you you teach them all of these things, but like
1: if you if you package it, like oh, we package. We have a course that uh, for a recruiter to get certified is twelve hundred and fifty dollars for a year. Okay. There's a com- combined of lot. lot individual training, uh, self-paced training and a case study where they work it with a real assignment. We have coaching that puts on top of it. So if they can go to performancebasedhiring.com and I think that's where they can go and they'll find it. Uh, <laughs> it. I even positive that we got, I got like 14 websites. So, but that's, if exactly. they put performancebasedhiring.com, they'll get there. Um, we put a link on it, but, but the idea is now we also have a course. You can take the same, a self-paced course for one month for $60. And you and you no, can, so you can get a sense of it, but to go through the real, the real thing is training plus you actually do the work and we coach you through doing the work. And so a couple of questions before, before we get to the closing, what do
0: you think is like the hardest part of running a recruitment agency? What do you think people underestimate, which which ends, which ends up sucking a lot more than people coming in think it will? Because a lot of
1: the audience. It's, getting, it's, it's certainly, well, it depends. I never reduce my fees. Yep. So but I always said, I'm going to give you a plus candidates. And if you don't believe that my candidates are better than everyone else, never hire, I'll fire me. I'll never do the work with again, but I'm not going to reduce my fees. Um, the, the, now, the question
0: was still like, when you ran your firm over the years that you did, what did what do you think was the hardest part of doing your job on a weekly, monthly?
1: Year? I know, I'm trying to get to that. And my, my answers tend to be a little bit circuitous, but The answer is, is that business, if you don't have enough business development, uh, nothing else matters. And then everybody else is hustling to get the fees uh, and then hustling to get a search assignment or a job order. And I didn't look at it that way. I turned jobs away that I couldn't do. So the hardest thing was you're in it to get search assignments but then you just push candidates through without thinking about process. So to me, it's trying to be efficient doing low marginal work where I said, no, I'm going to do high volume work and I'm going to get paid for it. And I'm going to do my job and I'm going to guarantee everybody for a year. So that was, I had a different methodology in which we did it. You, not, most search firms don't buy into that. They're into the hustle game. And I was not into it. I and, was into the quality game.
0: And, and when you, when you did start, right, when you and your wife had that conversation in the car and you started becoming a recruiter, what was your backup plan? Like if, if the recruitment thing just didn't work out, what, what did you plan to do?
1: You got to remember, I was running a company. I was a general manager of a, a three hundred person company at the time. I was making good money. I knew I could get out for six months and run, get another job. I had offers even in when I was out there. I'd go out to like there was one company. My first search I was for plant manager for a company making automotive wheels. Got it. Uh, the guy said, so the- I just walked through the plant. And he said, why don't you? Do you want to be the plant manager? I said, absolutely not. I'll find a person who can do it. So my backup plan was, I could run a I. I had plenty of offers. And so I knew I was competent enough to uh, do what I was doing before I became a recruiter. And and now,
0: you know, a few closing questions. Like, so what? What's the? What What are the growth plans for the next five or ten years? What do you What do you What do you plan to do? Retire? Oh, like,
1: you know, I know you've been. Seven, first off, I'm seventy four years old. So yeah. I don't have growth plans. I have life plan. If I stay alive, that's my plan. Um, but I do have a book, but I do have a book coming out. The fourth edition of Hire With Your Head that's coming out. Uh, in fact, I got to turn it into manuscript in next week to Wiley. So a big publisher. Um, I already have plans to market and promote that book and give talks if I can. So that's my plan, you know. I got a nice RV that I'm ready to take a drive if it's kind of awesome. over here behind my uh, left shoulder somewhere. So cool. And, and my right shoulder, I guess. And Lou, with, with all of
0: your experience, right, if you if you went back 54 years in time and talked to your 20 year old self, what advice, what what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? I know there's a lot of things you might want to tell
1: yourself, but like, actually, and that's a question Nathaniel Brandon asks. And uh, uh, so it's a good question. I've often said, should I, have, would I have done what I did? Because in retrospect, it was kind of an emotional decision to quit and become a recruiter. On the other hand, I I had the chairman of a well-known company who was the chairman of our company who didn't want me to quit. I already had promises of running a division within six months, already had a group of four divisions. So I knew I was on a good corporate career track. And I had, there was no doubt that I could have taken that. The doubt that I had though, would I have liked that? The truth is, if I had to talk, you got to kind of un- understand what you like to do, what you're capable of. And if I was on a corporate track, yeah, I probably would have been reasonably successful. I probably could have been put in jail. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> uh, probably. I don't. I think I'm still married to that same woman, so I've been married 53 years. I still have credibility doing what I do. I still like what I do. It's a hard choice. I if I knew exactly both paths. I don't know what I would have done, uh, but it was an emotional decision to do it. Outside
0: of like getting into recruitment, if you just had to out- give yourself one piece of advice, right? Because, you know, when you're 20, you don't know what you're doing, right? Like, but what would be
1: the... In that case, so the advice I give to students, I believe that now this could be biased advice, but I had an opportunity to work for two big companies when I was young. Yeah. One is an engineer. Uh, and I learned what it was like to design very complicated products yeah. uh, in a very, and that was important to understand that. I then got um, an MBA in finance, and I understood what it took to run a multi-billion-dollar company using the financial reporting. If I went to a startup or those things, now that was only two or three years. Two years as an engineer, three years, four years uh, in finance, and then I got to run divisions. So ten years, I learned a heck of a lot. Um, in that period of time. If I went to a small company in that period of time, I you wouldn't have seen the level of sophistication. Uh, so you really learn a lot. So I would say, you know, you can go to a startup and you can do this, and you need to do gigs and you can have a lot of fun, but you're not going to grow and understand the world uh, and make an impact. So in my mind, if I was to give advice to people is, hey, don't try to... Uh, Learn from others. Learn what it takes to run a big corporation. And if you decide you don't want to do it, fine. But if you never get a chance to do it, you'll never get a chance to do it. Because if you start out with a small company, a couple of years and doing gigs, that's all you're going to be doing the rest of your life. So give yourself a lot of choices and go to a place where you can really learn and be exposed, even if it's not the best place in the world initially from, your, uh, from a sexy perspective. And, and Lou, that's pretty
0: contrarian advice because most people, <laughs> most people say the opposite, right? Most people well, are I'm like, sure well, they do, yeah, but they don't know what they're talking about because they haven't been there. Yeah, uh, totally understand. So, so killer advice from Lou is go to a large, sophisticated company if you have the opportunity to and see operations and processes at scale. See
1: how all the pieces tie together. Maybe I don't like it. It's boring. Let me tell you, it's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> boring and it's bureaucratic and all this stuff, but you understand how it affects change from the top down rather than from the bottoms up.
0: And last question, Lou, and this is, again, a personal question.
1: Where, where are you at in your life right
0: now? What's the wife, kids, grandkids, puppy, dogs, cat situation?
1: What? <laughs> is that a woke question? Because I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: So, so uh, you know, you, you said you're you're married, so you're you're obviously you're obviously with the same person. Did did you guys have kids or grandkids? Do you have dogs?
1: Yeah, but I don't. Let me tell you this to everybody: grandkids are so overrated. Yeah, what a pain in the ass! <laughs> they throw food. They don't have manners. Overrated. I have an RV, class <laughs> twenty feet long. I can't wait to get out in it and warm enough to drive it. And I'm looking forward to drive around the United States of America. And see it, and I've, we've had one before. So, uh, and I can get internet anywhere, and I can still do Zoomcast. Like for all you know, I could be get an uh, RV, guys. That's, <laughs> that, that's the that's the that's the final so That's the plan. So there stay you, healthy,
0: guys. That was that was Lou Adler, and you know that was an amazing recruitment story. Uh, thank you for doing this, Lou. We appreciate it.
1: Have a good have a good one, Sean. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: And that's all for today's episode of Recruitment Entrepreneurs. Like and follow us if you liked today's episode and want to hear more stories from the world of recruitment.